we're doing some some snorkeling in a section of stream that we treated to remove non-native trout only a couple of years ago. And we saw some bull trout that had moved into that reach and not only were occupying the reach, but were exhibiting courtship or spawning behavior. Um, two relatively large fish paired up and, and swimming right next to each other, uh, getting ready to spawn. And that was pretty cool to see that uh, really as a direct result of the work we had done to remove non-native fish, these native fish were now moving in and spawning in a place where they hadn't been able to do so before. Welcome to Pelicanus. I'm your host, Austin Parker. If you're new to Pelicanus, we are an organization that is focused on finding and sharing positive conservation stories all around the world. We do this by talking to individuals about their work and why they do it to show that there are people out there that are doing this work every day. They've chosen to spend their life, to dedicate their life to conservation. And through these stories, we can find optimism through science. But for this episode, we're going to talk to Dave Herring. Now, Dave is a fisheries biologist at Crater Lake National Park. His main purpose is to cover the populations of bull trout in the freshwater streams of Crater Lake National Park. But a couple quick disclaimers for this episode. We conducted this interview both in the field and in his office. You'll hear that some of the sections of this interview will have some background noise of the creek that we're standing next to. So bull trout are a a, um, species of fish that's native to the western part of North America, and really they could more accurately be called a a char than a trout because they're a member of the genus Salvalinus, which includes all the fish that we collectively know as char. So they're closely related to things like um, eastern brook trout, uh, lake trout, and the Dolly Varden char that are all in that same genus. So their close relatedness to brook trout is one of the big problems that we have to deal with here at Crater Lake because many of our streams, just about all of our streams, have been stocked with non-native eastern brook trout. And those fish are closely enough related to bull trout that the two species can interbreed but they don't produce um, reproductively viable offspring. So, um, so when they interbreed, they, they produce sterile hybrids, and that interaction tends to favor the brook trout and lead to the decline of bull trout. Bull trout are the only native fish that we have in Crater Lake National Park, and so we've put quite a lot of effort into restoring the population not only because it's a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act, but because it's our only native fish and we want to preserve that biodiversity in the park. What is the significance of the restoration at Crater Lake National Park? Why is it so important? Our location here at Crater Lake National Park is right on the southern margin of the current range of bull trout, and that makes it uh, particularly important to conserve the species here Um, so that their range doesn't decline any farther. Um, Historically, they occupied uh, areas of Northern California where they're not found anymore, and so we want to keep that range um, from decreasing anymore. Now, bull trout are endangered for a reason. What happened to them? What threats are they facing? And what efforts are being made to bring them back? 
a lot of cold water fishes um, are threatened by things like lack of connectivity in stream systems, um, timber harvest uh, in watersheds that warms up streams and adds sediment to the creeks, um, you know, road crossings that, and dams that block movement. But here in the upper Klamath Basin, I think one of the biggest stresses to them is the interaction with non-native brook trout. Um, one of the questions that we have is whether keeping brook trout out of this stream by maintaining these barriers to fish movement is actually harmful to the recovery of bull trout. And that's why this, this barrier has this PVC pipe frame on it. That's a, an antenna that I use to, to detect tagged fish moving upstream and downstream. And so you can imagine that if the bull trout have to migrate to complete their life history and this dam gets in the way, um, it might inhibit their recovery even as it's keeping the non-native fish out. So it's a little unusual for fisheries biologists. Normally we try to take dams out of rivers and streams, but in this case we maintain this dam uh, because we think that the benefit of keeping non-native fish out um, outweighs any, any harm um, that might come from interrupting the natural movement of the native fish. So we're using these tagged fish and these antennas to try to measure the rate at which that movement occurs and, and see if, uh, if we can quantify, I guess, the impact of, of maintaining these, these barriers to non-native fish. And in, here in the Klamath Basin, there are only a handful of streams left that contain bull trout, um, probably eight or nine populations. And those populations are scattered around the headwaters of the basin in these isolated headwater streams. So not only are there few bull trout, but the bull trout that are here are isolated from one another um, and can't interact and, and exchange genes like they might have in a more connected system. You might have heard that stream in the background. But where are we standing and why are we there? So this is Sun Creek. And Sun Creek uh, heads on the south flank of Mount Mazama, just south of Crater Lake. And it's one of the two streams that we have in the park that historically contained bull trout. And it's the only one, the only stream that we know of that still has bull trout here in the park. Um, we're actually standing just south of uh, Crater Lake National Park on the Sun Pass State Forest. Yeah, I've always wondered why, when bull trout have been extirpated from so many tributaries in the Klamath Basin, why they persisted in Sun Creek. And we don't really know. We haven't been able to pinpoint a good answer. You know, it has to have something to do, I think, with the fact that the National Park has been here since 1902. And so even though the fish in Sun Creek were exposed to the stress of non-native competitors and, and brook trout and brown trout, uh, at least they weren't exposed to the other stressors that come with human development of the landscape. Um, the park, which is, contains the upper 16 kilometers of Sun Creek, has been protected from human development, you know, for over a century. When it comes to a lot of species or a lot of areas, the benefits of public conservation lands isn't this straightforward. But in this case, you're finding direct benefits of public conservation lands on this species. 
Now, because this is a federally endangered species, what has to happen is the Fish and Wildlife Service has to create a recovery plan. And that means that a lot of people are involved. There's a lot of steps to this process. But the purpose of these plans is to create attainable goals and create sort of like a step-by-step -step list on what to do to be able to recover a species. It's never that straightforward, but at least there is a plan. And that's actually the goal of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service recovery plan for, for bull trout that was recently published. Um, here in Sun Creek, we had areas that didn't contain bull trout and were overrun with non-native fish. And what we've done in the last 20 years or so um, in several projects, um, not all at once, but um, what we've done is actually treat sections of creek with a chemical uh, poison, really, to get rid of the non-native fish and then allowed the bull trout to repopulate those areas. So we're already working on, in a sense, um, you know, reintroducing bull trout to portions of this creek where they were once extirpated. And then our hope is as they continue to fill in Sun Creek, they'll expand on their own to the adjacent populations. And just downstream of here, we're actually working on a project with some partners now to correct some, well, to reconnect Sun Creek to the larger mainstream river downstream, the Wood River, in a way that mimics its natural flow as it would have been over 100 years ago. In the late 19th century, farmers actually diverted all of Sun Creek to irrigate some cattle pasture um, down here in the Wood River Valley. And so for a long time, probably a century at least, um, the creek hasn't connected to the Mainstem River the way it naturally did. So we're working on building a new channel um, or a restored channel that should allow bull trout from Sun Creek to move downstream and maybe find other historic habitats that they haven't been in uh, for a long time. In order to monitor these fish, they use old technology, but it's still incredibly useful. Since about 2009, we've been putting tags in bull trout here in Sun Creek, and we're using a, a tag called a passive integrated transponder or a pit tag. The tag doesn't contain a battery, so it'll last for the life of the fish, but it has to be energized by some sort of an external electromagnetic field, like the field that's produced by these antennas. So um, as opposed to an active radio tag that might let you track the fish in real time, day to day, these tags are useful um, more for detecting fish when they pass a certain point in the creek that we can monitor with an antenna like this. So since 2009, we've probably tagged a few hundred, maybe 500 bull trout in this creek. Um, and over that time, some of those have, have died or have lost their tags or whatever. So um, there might be a few hundred tagged fish left at any given time. That it's pretty incredible to see for me, this project, even on this sort of small scale, we're only working in one relatively small watershed, but to see how through, you know, a lot of hard work and, and effort, we've actually been able to expand bull trout and, and expand their distribution and also increase their abundance pretty dramatically over a relatively short period of time, a decade or so. 
um, couple of decades. Um, you know, we started out with just a few hundred bull trout back in the late 80s, and now we probably have close to 3,000 bull trout in the, sea, in the stream. And in the 80s, they were limited to just a couple of kilometers of stream close to the headwaters, and now we have them um, occupying the entire stream, which is about 20 kilometers of, of stream. And I am pretty confident that after we complete uh, our current project to connect the stream to the surrounding watershed, they'll just continue to expand and we'll find them in neighboring streams. So you just gotta let them do their thing and they'll find a way. I think so, yeah. It, I think that as the population was recovering from very low abundance, they were not very, the fish were not particularly inclined to disperse. But we've seen in the last few years as their abundance has increased and they've sort of filled up the available habitat upstream of this point, that they've started to move downstream in pretty um, large numbers. So, for example, in 2013, one year after we treated this reach that we're looking at now to uh, remove brook trout, about 200 bull trout moved downstream from um, the national park into this newly restored area. So when you think about that in context, that's the same number of fish that we had in the entire population back in 1989. And those fish are the ones that are moving and, and repopulating this new reach. We mentioned this a few times with how complex a program like this actually is. But when it comes down to it, this can't be done alone. Not one agency can do all of this. It takes a coalition of lots of interested parties that are all working together for the common goal of saving this species of fish. One thing this project illustrates is how lots of different people from different agencies and groups and um, landowners and, and multiple you know, interests can come together and, and create a restoration project um, collaboratively. And so, you know, I work for the National Park Service. This land is owned by the state of Oregon. Downstream of us, there's some private land. And several of us biologists are working together across the whole watershed to try to create this restoration project that works. Um, because the fish obviously don't know when they're on the national park. For almost his entire career, Dave has been focused on saving this one species of fish. See, here he gives us some perspective on what it's like being a fish biologist, what kind of dedication it takes to bring this fish back from the brink of extinction. I think my favorite part of uh, working as a fish biologist is actually getting under the water in streams with a mask and snorkel on and watching uh, fish, bull trout in, in my case, but other fish as well, um, behave the way they do in their natural environment. The main tool that we have for monitoring the population is snorkeling the stream and, and counting fish. So it's a little distracting sometimes or hard to, hard to get the work done because once like, you get your head underwater and start watching those fish, it's, um, it's so interesting. Sometimes you forget to keep moving along and complete the survey. But, uh, um, you know, a fish underwater acts very differently, as you might imagine, than a fish out of the water. <laughs> Unfortunately, the way we usually see fish is uh, out of the water.
So one of my favorite memories of, of working here at Crater Lake on the Bull Trap Project was um, I spent a fair amount of time working by myself in the woods. Um, and one day I was working by myself maintaining some electronics that I have to detect tagged fish moving around in the creek. And the electronics were housed in this metal box uh, on the stream bank uh, with some batteries and, and, and other things in it. And I was having to make a lot of wiring connections and, and do a lot of work with my hands. And so I didn't look up for quite a while from this box. And um, at some point as I was working, I had a wrench in my hand and I dropped it and it made a noise. And when I dropped that wrench and it made a noise, I suddenly heard a quite loud noise right behind me. <laughs> and I looked up and a, an adult bear was standing maybe uh, 15 or 20 feet away, uh, just looking at me, trying to figure out what I was doing in the middle of the woods, <laughs> you know, messing with these electronics. And uh, that was a great experience because I was able to watch that bear just sort of casually walk away. And the bear actually crossed the, the stream uh, using the very log that I always use to cross the creek um, to, to walk back to my truck. So every time I walk across that log uh, since, I, I think about the fact that I'm not the only one out there using those those trails. Now, this is an idea that we touch on a lot. He could have done anything. He could have studied any species. He could have gone and worked in a bank. But why did he decide to focus on fish? What was it that made him think, this is what I want to do. I'm going to dedicate my life to conserving fish. Well, I guess I've always been really interested in fish throughout my life. And maybe it's having the last name Herring that got me into that. I don't know. But uh, I, I remember being fascinated by fish even as a young kid. Um, and, you know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, in the Willamette Valley in Oregon. And you may know in the Pacific Northwest, there's this whole sort of culture built around fish, particularly anadromous salmonids, uh, salmon and steelhead. And so I, um, just sort of, uh, grew up uh, surrounded by that culture and um, aware of the, of those fish and, and really fascinated by them and then um, decided pretty early on that I was gonna, going to try to turn that into a career of some sort. And so I went to school to, to study biology and sort of naturally um, drifted toward the study of fish since that was my interest and uh, did some graduate research uh, in salmon ecology and um, and ended up here um, working with bull trout you know I've always uh, been particularly interested in in um, sort of the diversity of behaviors and and uh, life life histories that, that fish exhibit and trying to understand first why they do the, the various things they do, but also trying to conserve the, that diversity. Um, you know, an example is uh, bull trout can be, can do a variety of things um, in their life. In some places like the Olympic Peninsula and Olympic National Park, bull trout actually run to the ocean and get very large and come back to streams to spawn just like a salmon or a steelhead might. 
um, in other places like here at Crater Lake, uh, they are resident fish that live the, their entire lives in headwater streams and rarely get over a, a foot in length. Um, and yet it's the same species. And that diversity fascinates me. And I, I guess uh, part of the reason I do what I do is to, to try to understand that and also try to, uh, to keep it around. In this current environmental landscape, it's really easy to get caught up in all the negative stories that we hear every day about what's gone wrong and what species are disappearing. One of the questions that we've asked everyone is, what is exciting about their work? What is exciting about their field? What excites them to get up every morning and do this work? Some of the most exciting things are when I hear about people that are just passionate about what they do and turn that passion into effective conservation work, even if it's on a very small scale. You know, I've run into a lot of uh, colleagues and and, uh, peers and and other biologists over the years who work just day to day doing um, really great stuff to to help native fish, not because they're ever going to get an award for it or they're certainly not going to make much money doing it or or anything like that but just because they they have a passion for for the outdoors and and for for native you know biodiversity i think nature is um is very resilient you know in our case we've had bull trout in this area for thousands of years and they experienced the eruption of this big volcano here which probably wasn't ideal for them and they rebounded from that and then in the relatively recent past they experienced this onslaught of non-native fish put here by people but we see through our work that if we simply remove those non-native fish and do nothing else um, to the stream, the native fish, the native bull trout respond and and recover. And so that sort of resilience gives me hope that we can continue to to do that sort of work uh, throughout the species range and and, and the range of other species as well and and see, uh, see similar results. Yeah, there's so much of of uh, biology or, or working for a, an agency that can be really dissatisfying because you know you spend time staring at your computer and you work all day and maybe you produce something, but what you produce is a document that somebody's probably never going to read. And it doesn't. Sometimes it can be kind of demoralizing because it's not like you know maybe you're a carpenter and you spend all day building something and at the end of the day you can step back and look at the nice. A bit of cabinetry or something that you just built, um, but when you see, like in this case, when we see native fish start to reoccupy these places that we've um, worked so hard to restore, uh, that's like seeing that product at the end of the day, and that's that's pretty pretty satisfying.
this has been a Pelicanus production. Some of the music you heard today was provided by a picture book. I'd like to give one final thanks to Dave Herring and everyone at Crater Lake National Park for showing me a great time and agreeing to talk with me. All of our podcasts can be found on our website at pelicanus.org. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time.